Welcome to episode number 36 of Bleeding Blue. And today we are going to talk about the New York Football Giants, our top five Giants games of the last 10 to 15 years. We're going to recap the Super Bowl, some Giants news that happened this past week or the last two weeks or whatever. It's cold stove season. The Super Bowl's over. So we're going to fill the space with some fun conversations and reliving the glory days. So without further ado, let's bleed blue. All right, welcome back. For the first time in a while, it feels like an eternity. It has been too long. David double underscore Powis is here. Hello, my friend. How are you doing? I'm great. It's great to be back. I've missed your, missed your voice, Justin. I've missed our viewers. I'm doing well. It was very fun getting my little list together here of, of top five Giants games with some honorable mentions. Especially after a year like we've had this year. It's fun to think back to the glory days. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, David didn't exactly follow directions. Uh, I've been I've been kind of, I've had this idea for, for a little bit. Um, either it's a whole week or two weeks or whatever. And now, David just started a new job. Congratulations, David. Thanks, sir. Now, David's a school teacher. So, I told him, favorite Giants games, top five Giants games with some honorable mentions of the last 10 years. So what do you do? What 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 do you what do you do? Um, I put in two plays from two thousand eight. Yeah, yeah. So um, doesn't follow directions. Just just okay. Ignore that. I'm gonna do what I want anyway. So you know, I, you're you're a hypocrite. That's what we're basically going at here. I'm very sorry. I, I've let you down, but they're really good games. There are. I good promise. Games. They're fantastic games. There are good games. I think people are gonna appreciate looking back even further. And not just being stingy and cranky like me. Exactly. We could all use some more positivity. You could you could use some more positivity, Justin. I know. I know. Thank you, David. Um, so, David, um, the Super Bowl happened this yeah. this past Sunday. Yeah. And um, what do you what do you think, Bud? What do you, what do you think about that? <laughs> well, first, I want to get this off my chest. I'm not one who goes on Twitter and thinks I'm really cool and really funny. And, and so much more original than the, than the next guy when people go on and bash the halftime show. But dear God, that was horrible. I'm not, I'm not one of these people who just says that all the halftime shows stink, but that really did stink. I shut it off. I put on some random movie for like 25 minutes. What movie? Uh, I don't know. It was on like the independent film channel. Oh. I don't know. It, it was weird. It was weird, but I didn't care. It was something that wasn't that. I, it, it was so cringeworthy and awkward did you watch it did you watch the whole thing i take the i like i've accepted that these last few years that the halftime show is no longer like the who or prince or uh, whatever stones or you know i accepted that it's no tom petty even though i'm not really the biggest fan of tom petty i've accepted that the the halftime show of those kind of acts have kind of like moved on 
where we're going to rock and roll and just play like when you think of football music. Um, I feel like I would rather just hear solely rap and be like, this is what <laughs> football players listen to, or just go totally old school, put old men on the stage who can still rock and roll and give me that. Don't give me Maroon 5. Don't give me Katy Perry. Don't give me these people that, hey, or, or just put Bruno Mars on the stage every year. So to answer your question, David, um, no, I did not watch the halftime show. I took the halftime show to relieve myself in the restroom because I ate a sinly amount of food. Like it was, it was an inappropriate amount of food that I ate. Oh, me too. Me too. So I took the halftime show for an opportunity to relieve myself. And therefore that opened up more space for more food. So I took more food and I sat in the back or I stood in the back of the room while everybody's eyes were glued waiting for Travis Scott and big boy, which big boy with an eye. Okay. Everybody's eyes were glued to the TV. I was in the back eating like a hooligan. I just, I was eating too, but I just, I, I could not watch so I changed the channel. I like Maroon 5. I, I actually do. I like Maroon 5 very much. I thought he was just bad, Adam Levine. Travis Scott's Travis Scott. Like, yeah. I wasn't expecting anything crazy from him. I don't know who Big Boy is. I still don't. He, he was the best part of the halftime show, though. I didn't. I, I was shut off by the time Big Boy showed up. You were on the independent film channel, huh? I was. I was. So that that was just my aside about the halftime show because I felt like we, we'd be remiss if we didn't bring it up. And also, I don't even keep your shirt on. Like, I don't need to see your tattoos. But oh, no, yeah, I, w- I was about to say, like, I I couldn't get over the California tattoo. I couldn't like, get over why, it. Why is it there? Is it from California? I, I don't know. I'm looking it up. I don't know, but I. I just thought that this was – I think the halftime show is just – how big of a double standard is this, okay? That Janet Jackson's He was nipple, born in California. He was born in California. Janet Jackson's nipple comes flying out, and her career is basically ruined after that, which technically it's not. But, you know, she's, like, labeled as that for the rest of her career. But Adam Levine gets to take off his shirt and strip on national television – and he's Adam Levine. Oh, and he's the sexiest man alive. Come on. Well, for the record, what are we, what are we tells, doing? Something tells me that Adam Levine and Maroon 5's reputation for the remainder of their careers will be tainted with a terrible halftime performance. I honestly do believe that. Now, I get what you're saying about the double standards. I, I do. But I do think Adam Levine did himself no favors by doing this halftime show and doing it in the style in which he did it. Um, he is from California, so the California tattoo makes a little bit more sense. But I'm not going to walk, you know, I'm not going to walk around which is like a big New York across my chest. It's not happening. It's a weird thing to do. Also, can you imagine like if, if you did that and you were from like, I don't know, Idaho? I think that definitely happens. I think that definitely has happened before. Someone getting an Idaho tattoo? Oh, no, no. I'm talking about, oh, so I thought you meant somebody from Idaho getting a California tattoo. Oh, no, that would be hilarious. Right? <laughs> anyway. North, North Dakota. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so that's my that was my thing about the, about the halftime show. Um, as far as the game goes, you know, I have a couple things to say. One, I thought it was a fantastic game, and I don't know why people. Well, I do know why people refuse to refuse to accept that or acknowledge that, because we're obsessed with scoring and we're obsessed with you know Patrick Mahomes and Drew Brees throwing up four four fifty a game, you know, forty five points. But I thought that was a very well-played game. I didn't often feel like... I mean, there were some plays by both offenses that left you, left you scratching your head. 
but there weren't that many, you know, awful penalties to derail drives. There were a few, but a normal amount for a football game. I honestly just felt like the Rams defense and the Patriots defense came in and had fantastic game plans, neutralized the other, and they executed they execute their game plans. I, I just felt like the defenses on both sides of the ball consistently beat the offense. And in my opinion, that's that's a good football game. I think it was an extremely well-coached game. Jared Goff looked uncomfortable, but I get the feeling he looked uncomfortable because Bill Belichick made him uncomfortable. I don't think it was about. I don't think the game got bigger than him. I just don't think there were a lot of plays there for him. So that's so. I I, th- I think it was a very good game, and I think I saw this on Twitter, and I think I saw you retweeted it or liked it. We need to remember that there was a Super Bowl a couple years ago that was like forty. What was it? Forty. No, I think you're no. You're talking about the Broncos and the. Seahawks. Not yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't know why I said Ravens. Seahawks. What was it? It was like 45, like 45. It was, a, it was a it was a bad blowout. Yeah. That's a bad Super Bowl. That's a bad football game. It was like 22 to 3 at half. I, I was totally fine with the game being 3-3. I remember I was I was watching it with my dad. And I remember saying I, I said to him, like, I don't know. I think this is a pretty good game. It it'll it's close. It was close the entire time. Any one play in each in either direction would have swung the entire game. Um, I think that's the mark of a good football game. So it didn't have a lot of the glitz and glamour that a lot of the season did, but I think it was a, I think it was a good game. Yeah, in our last episode, Brett and I definitely did talk about like the glitz and glamour of the season because even if teams weren't scoring, from the takeaway from the conference championship weekend was basically the penalties and teams getting you know quote unquote robbed of a Super Bowl appearance. And that's a storyline in itself. That's a conversation piece. That's something that's going to get people talking. It's going to be. It's going to get people watching on you know national telecasts and you know radio shows and listening the week after. So the NFL did its job there. Uh, I guess the only bad thing about this game is that there really isn't necessarily a huge conversation piece that's going to follow it because we spent a decent amount, four or five minutes talking about the halftime show, and we're probably (laughs) only going to spend one or two more minutes talking about the actual game. But I will say this about the actual game, and I, David, I pretty much, I I agree with a lot of what you said. Overall, you know, in today's NFL, was was it boring? I mean, yes, because you expect points to be scored. But as you know, a fan who appreciates the game of football, um, the way that the secondaries were able to go to work and give credit to the officials, because there were a few times throughout that game where I was yelling immediately, throw the flag. And this was for both teams. Throw the flag. He got The defender got there early before the receiver could have an opportunity to catch the ball. But then they would slow it down in instant replay, and you would say, no, that was just a really good, executed, well play on the football. So in a time where it is extremely tough, extremely tough, and we even saw this con- you know, conference championship week, in a time where it is, it is, it is extremely tough to be a cornerback, a safety, a secondary player, time where it's difficult to cover guys in the NFL without either just simply allowing the receiver to catch the ball so you don't get flagged or just getting flagged and trying to make a play thought that was a very very good secondary play um and i think you know obviously that's boring because then it's not yards and it's not points being put on the board but if there's one takeaway it's the coaching the brilliant coaching by Wade Phillips and then obviously the brilliant coaching of Bill Belichick but then also it's the secondary play too by both teams. It was fantastic. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, um, and I think we need to be willing to acknowledge 
the fact that defense is okay. And like and, and seeing games that are heavy on defense is a good thing. And I and I I, I personally really, really enjoyed the game. Um and also they showed a graphic after the game talking about Bill Belichick and the company he's now in with the amount of Super Bowl wins that he has. Riddle me this, Justin. Who are the two um two NFL coaches who have as many Super Bowl rings as he does? N- no one. There no, there's two. Now are we talking about championships we included got, or just Super Bowl? Championships Bowls? included. I should have made that clear. Is no Bill Bill Walsh doesn't have as much. Who was the nope. Steelers? Who was the Steelers coach in the seventies? Chuck Noll, but not him. He's got four. You gotta go further back. Jeez, I can't even I can't even we're tell you. We're talking like we're talking two godfathers of the game. I can't even tell you who, David. I can't even tell you. It's Curly Lambeau. Oh jeez, I would never know that. And George Hallis. We're talking like classic, classic legends of the game. And we haven't seen somebody we have we have not we have not seen a coach this dominant in years, in decades. No, I think he is the greatest coach of all time. And I think he and is. as much as I hate to admit it, because he he does rub just rub me the wrong way and annoy me. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant football mind. Um, and I'm becoming more and more comfortable with the fact that we need to accept and appreciate what we're seeing with Bill Belichick as time goes on. That's why Bill Belichick ran. I'm done talking about the game. Did uh did Tom Brady kiss Robert Kraft on the lips on national television? Yes, they they do all the time. It's weird. Robert Kraft kisses everybody on that team, and I don't get it. Did you hear Julian Edelman call Bill Belichick grandpa when handing, uh, when Julian Edelman hand handed over his child to Bill Belichick after they won the Super Bowl? Did you hear <laughs> no, that? No, I did not hear that. No, he's like grandpa. I mean, coach. <laughs> All right. So Tom Brady kissed. Um, Craft on the mouth, and um, that's and Bill Belichick is the grandfather of Julian Edelman's uh, child. Is Julian Edelman a Hall of Famer? No. Did you see this conversation that this is, is dominated? This, this is absolutely ridiculous. No. Giants Twitter was comparing uh, the career of Hakeem Nix to Julian Edelman. And in my mind, it's not. It really shouldn't even be a discussion. If you, in order to make the Hall of Fame as a wide receiver, you need to be. So dominant, so unguardable, game changing. You need to be not game. You need to be position changing. You need to define the position. Julian Edelman is an excellent slot receiver, but let's take a moment and remember some of the other excellent slot receivers that have flourished on the New England Patriots. Wes Welker, fantastic wide receiver. Nothing. I'm not nothing against Wes Welker, Welker, but he's not a Hall of Famer. Danny Amendola. He's in a system that manages to maximize the potential of every single player who steps on the field with the Patriots. I thought Danny Amendola was um, better when he was on the Rams than he was on so the this, Patriots. This is absolute garbage. I'm I'm so tired of it. No, no, it's absolute garbage. I can't I, handle I, it. I just think that uh, Patriots fans are just currently in a mode where it's just like, hold my dick. That's what I think <laughs> they're doing. Oh, absolutely. They're, they, after the Patriots win the Super Bowl, they go brain zero for a little while, like brain neutral. And everything is just everything is as positive as possibly can be. So, you know, Julian Edelman's going to the Super Bowl, or he's going to the Hall of Fame. He's going to the Super Bowl. He's going to the Super Bowl. Tom Brady and Bill Belichick are unequivocally the most dominant coach player duo that's ever walked the face of the planet in any sport, which is debatable, and I'm I'm happy to debate that. But 
Patriots fans will just go crazy for a little while. It'll subside as, as it gets, you know, a little bit warmer. Blood and the blood flow ret- returns to their brains slowly yeah. from from the countless months of heavy drinking they've done and uh, hibernating in the cold winter. But I, I digress. I'm a little tired of the Patriots, if you can't tell. Yeah, well, uh, also the their fans. They were. I don't know if it was a parade or rally. I don't even know if they had it yet. But uh, there there was a Yankees suck chant going on, and I don't understand why. Yankees fans live rent free in the brains of yes. every of every Massachusetts resident. Absolutely, in the state. absolutely, it's hilarious. We're living, we're living in there. All right. Um. So that's the Super Bowl. Goodbye football. And in a way, I say good riddance. Even though it the, the playoffs were fun to watch, but um, I'm just ready for baseball. But um, hey, the game of football. This is what we talked about on one of our last Yankee episodes, where we had a state of baseball free agency conversation. Base uh, football never stops, and this is for teams for fans of teams that are really bad. This is the most exciting part of the year. Instead of the team actually playing, this part of the year is the most exciting time of the year for the fans of bad football teams. So let's get to some limited, quick Giants news. The Giants have parted ways with Jonathan Stort and Connor Barwin. Now, if they cut Olivier Vernon, Alec Ogletree, and Rhett Ellison, along with Stort and Barwin, which they already did, the Giants would save twenty-five and a quarter million dollars. So, David, give us your brief thoughts on saying goodbye to Jonathan Stort and Connor Barwin, and then should we think about cutting the rest of those three guys? Okay, so I appreciate Dave Gettleman's humility and understanding of the team situation that he's able to admit the fact that signing Jonathan Stewart to the contract he did was asinine and the wrong move. So I'm happy to I'm happy to see him part ways with Jonathan Stewart. Connor Barwin, the signing made sense to me in the beginning of the year during the offseason. It made sense. It was it became evident as the year went on. He was not in the future plans for the Giants. He didn't really do a heck of a lot. Not I don't really neither here nor there, not really pushing me any type of way. So I'm happy with the two with with you know, getting rid of the two of them. Save some money. As far right. as the other guys go. Olivier Vernon's not getting cut. We need to stop. He's not getting cut. Should he uh, take a pay cut? Well, I mean, yeah, of course he should. He's not going to. They're not going to. He, he's not going to, and it's not going to be a deal breaker. He's not going to have to. But from, I mean, from a fan standpoint, I think everyone should take a pay cut. I think Eli Manning should take a pay cut. I think, in my limited understanding of what it means to be a pro athlete, I think every player should want, should be willing to take a pay cut for the betterment of the team, but I'm also, it's not my life. So yeah, he, of course it'd be better for the Giants. If he took a pay cut, he's not going to, I don't think he'll be asked to. No, I think I definitely think he will be asked to. And if he doesn't take the pay cut, he will, he may be released. He's not getting released. He knows it. He knows he's not getting released. This team is too desperate for a pass rush to trade your best pass rusher to to release your best pass rusher. I don't know. No, that would, I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't think they will. I don't think that. I think I don't think they should touch Olivier Vernon. Um, Red oh, Ellison. Oh, Red, Red Ellison. El- Red Ellison. I re- I really really like Red Ellison. Um, I have since he came over from Minnesota. I think he's an underrated pass catcher. I think when utilized correctly, he can be he can be effective in those in that five to eight yard 
pass game, um, picked up valuable first downs, um, good, excellent blocker, which is something from the tight end position we don't have. So we'd really like to see him stay on. Alec Ogletree is a tough one. He played well. I, I, I think the award I gave him was the most confusing. Yes. He did, he did some good things, but the bad things that he did were awful and didn't make any sense from a veteran like him. I, I'm okay with cutting him. I don't, I don't know how. I, it's very hard to get a read on how, on how Dave Gettleman feels about a guy like Alec Ogletree, though. He, he keeps everything very, very close. So I, it, he's a tough one to read. What do you think? I mean, I think that because you gave up a draft pick and a decently, decently high draft pick, you know, you sometimes can apply this logic to baseball where a reason why the Yankees hung on to Aaron Hicks and it has worked out for them is because they traded for him and that's their guy. So if they part ways with him, then it seems like that, oh, the Yankees were wrong. So if the Giants cut Alec Ogletree, they gave up a third or a fourth round pick and they cut him after one year. That's a bad look on the Giants. So I'm, I think they're definitely should possibly be willing to ride it out for at least one more year, see if the second year under the system can really do him some good, and especially maybe if you can draft Devin White for a guy that you can put an inside linebacker right next to him who would be ready to start day one, and you complement him with some other linebackers slash pass rushers, you know, maybe that you know makes him better because um, a 3-4 system especially does rely on defensive linemen filling gaps, so... B.J. Hill can take a step up. Dalvin Tomlinson can take a step up. Maybe that helps improve Alec Ogletree. Who knows? But I think if the Giants part ways with Alec Ogletree this offseason, that's a bad look on their end. So we covered all that. Goodbye, Connor Barwin. Goodbye, Jonathan Stewart. I'm so glad I don't have to make Jonathan Stewart jokes every once in a while anymore. <laughs> David, let's start our top five with some honorable mention What's the- list of... I did of the last 10 years, Giants games of the last 10 years. David's range was about 10 to 14 years or so, Relax. 15 years. Relax. So so that that was that was David's range. Um David, why don't you uh why don't you start off with a with an honorable mention? Tell us the year, tell us the circumstance if you remember the Giants record or anything you want to bring up about your first honorable mention game. All right. Um so I'm going to start with not necessarily in the yards but in touchdowns. Statistically, Eli Manning's best game as a Giant, or most impressive day as a Giant, I'll say. Uh, Giants Saints 2015 in New Orleans, a game the Giants ultimately lost by a score of 52 to 49. Eli Manning threw for 375 yards, I think, six touchdowns, no interceptions. This was the year that prompted the the enormous spending spree. On Olivier Vernon, Janoris Jenkins, uh, Damon Harrison. Because of games like this, that Giants defense was atrocious. Trying to remember some of the guys who were on that defense. JPP was the lone, was the lone game changer. Help me out. Who? Give me some guys on that Giants defense on that 2015 Giants defense. Yuani Unka. Yep. Landon Collins's rookie year. Dominic Rogers Grimaldi. Prince of Mukamara, Mark Herzlick, for some reason, was a starter. Brandon Merriweather, remember we took a chance on him. Demontre Moore, remember him before he got arrested. Kerry Wynn has been on this team for a while. Finally got got more of a shot this year, though. Tyler Wade is is a New York Yankee, but 
when he was on the Giants, this guy was named Trevin Wade. He was our nickel yep. cornerback. Remember all the potential he had? Where'd he go? Um, Jonathan Hankins. Love Jonathan. Jay, Jay Bromley, who was a good football player. Craig Dahl, JT Thomas, Marcus Kuhn, Owa Adigizua. Those are some names that were on that 2015 Giants defense. Yeah. Not, not great. Not great. No, it could be better. But that was uh, the beginning of Odell Beckham, who had three touchdowns in that game. Dwayne Harris had two touchdowns in that game. Oof. Yeah, I, I remember. Obviously, it was in New Orleans, so I wasn't there. I, I just remember it being a really, really entertaining game. It was fun to watch. Eli Manning put up those kinds of those kinds of numbers. He was, I remember, he was just slinging the ball around the field, throwing it up, and it just seemed to be working every time, which often doesn't seem to work for Eli Manning. There was particularly this one play where this was, I would say, if you put guys like Russell Wilson and Patrick Mahomes in slow motion, if you watch their plays, maybe in like half speed, <laughs> that was this. <laughs> This this one play by Eli Manning, which I think is one of the most impressive plays of his entire career. And Eli's had some really, really good plays, but there's this one play where he's rolling out to his right and he's in and he's in the red zone. And this is this is this is a problem that the Giants have today because teams in the NFL, they can expand the field while they're inside the red zone, but teams like the Giants can't. So that's why you see sometimes that they have problems scoring in the red zone. But neither here nor there in this game, Eli Manning rolls to his right. He doesn't have anybody open. But he improvises, and he he's, looks like he's going to scramble, but he buys more time, and he keeps on rolling to his right. He throws across his body, floats this ball in the air. This ball isn't a bullet. Floats this ball in the air, and maybe I can put some audio in there. Bannon on fourth down. Moving to his right. Directing traffic. Looking across the field. Now he throws. It's a touchdown. Played Harris. Giants for the second time today score a touchdown on fourth down. The ball goes over his head right to Dwayne Harris. Now you break contain. Okay, somebody work. He's waiting for somebody to work their way out to the right. He looks back. He has no options. This is unbelievable. I mean, great job by the Saints defense. That's great coverage. They got everybody jammed. Look at the throw. But it's a heady play by Eli. It is fourth down. Floats this ball in the air to Dwayne Harris, who somehow comes up with the touchdown catch, and this ball had was literally a, probably a centimeter from either being picked or being tipped, so or, or tipped and then picked. So it was one. It's one of the more impressive plays of Eli's career, just how he was able to see the whole field while rolling out to his right, because he typically, obviously, does not do that. So that yeah. was an awesome play. Yeah, I remember. That. Just it was a fun game. Um, I remember the defense was painfully bad. I, it's obviously not in my top five. It's somewhere somewhere after that. It's, it's in the honorable mention. Um, if they had won, it might be a different story. Uh, it might it may crack the top, like the five. I'm not sure. But fun game. So that's my first one. 2015, there's going to be one other Giants game that's in my top five that's from 2015. But 2015 was... I remember I like have fond memories of 2015 in a lot of ways, but 2015 was probably the worst season to be a Giants fan where it was basically the start of the current trend that we're in right now as we're in football games and we're in it every yep. single week. But then we just find ways, new and interesting ways to lose football games. So 
So seven of their nine losses of 2015 you know, defined by 21 points. And what's really interesting is you're you're opening a window into, and you and I have debated it plenty, so we don't need to get into it here, but you're opening the door into the thought process behind the keeping Eli, believing in Eli, putting people around Eli, you know, so that season you're saying, you know, the defense was atrocious. And even with an atrocious defense, we were in every single football game. And it was, it was you know, by a hair every game. So it, the logical thing to do then is not don't, you know, don't burn the bridge, but just put some defensive pieces in place. And that worked. They got, got them to the, got them to the playoffs next season. But for some reason after that year, the offense broke. Right. Um, so I think what you're seeing is th- that, like you said, that trend beginning, but also the trend of, well, no, but we just need a piece here, a piece there, this guy, this guy, fix this, fix that. And that's, and, and now that's where we find ourselves. So I do think that that season is very, very interesting as a, if you're a giant, um, a giant historian of sorts, a recent historian of sorts, that's an interesting season because it, like you said, definitely does open up the uh, the door to a lot of alarming trends that we experience now. So it's give me your of- first honorable mention. My first honorable mention, and I think what will be our only honorable mention before we get to the top five, and this is a tough one because I had three honorable mentions initially. So here, I'll just list them. I'll just list them, but we're, we'll, we'll talk about one. The Dolphins and Giants, 2011. This was a home game. The Dolphins were 0-6 with Matt Moore at the helm. And if you remember, if you remember this season, the Dolphins had a lot of close games, even though they were they finished this week 0-7. But this game, very, very good football game. And back and forth game, pretty solid defensive game, but it categorized, and this the epitome of the Giants 2011 season was their ability to finish in the fourth quarter. And in the fourth corner, they had 10 points, and it finished off with the Victor Cruz 25-yard pass from Eli Manning. And I just remember he there was a safety that really tried to he tried to arm tackle Victor Cruz. Victor Cruz was able to spin out of that tackle around the five-yard line or so or somewhere in the red zone, and then he was able to spin out, get that touchdown, spikes that ball down, does the salsa, and then Lawrence Tynes would eventually kick the extra point, put the Giants up by three for good. So I have fond memories of that game as well just because we took over that fourth quarter um, and the Dolphins, Matt Moore and company were really moving the ball that game. So that was a really good game. And it led the Giants to be five and two, three and one at home, which is unusual, you know, having the Giants have a winning record at home. Um, So even though the Dolphins were 0 seven, they had a, they played a pretty good ball game and Giants won it in pretty dramatic fashion. My other two honorable mention games were, Giants at Cardinals 2011, and then also David Wilson's record-breaking day where he had 300 total yards between 200 special teams yards, 100 rushing yards, three total touchdowns, 52-27. to 27, The Giants won, and that year was 2012. 2012. No. Yeah, 2012. 2012 David Wilson was their pick after Great. the Super Bowl. Great. Okay. I, I do have one on a I won't talk about it, but I just want to okay. say it. 2007, here's my first 2007 game. Uh, 2007. Giants Eagles week four. I'm sorry, week four. And this is and this is at Philly. No, this is home. Home. OCU Minora sacks Donovan McNabb six times. Giants have a total 
of 12 team sacks. They beat the Eagles 16 to three. Um, really epitomized in the early going of that season how dominant that defense would become. And if you remember, this is also only two weeks removed from the first two weeks of the season where they were outscored something ridiculous, like 85 to 14 or something like that. So the defense really got the ship right fast. And to do it against the Eagles, too, just is that much sweeter. So that was a great game. Gotta love OC. Gotta love OC. How could you not? All right. My, My number five game. The year was 2012. Again, the Buccaneers were at the New York Football Giants at MetLife Stadium. And after three interceptions in the first half and being down 24 to 13, Eli Manning was able to rack up 295 second half passing yards and lead the Giants to a 25 point fourth quarter. And having career days also were Hakeem Nix and Victor Cruz, who had 10 catches, 199 yards, a touchdown, and 11 catches and 179 yards and one touchdown, respectively. Now, this game is also too important to point out that Hakeem Nix just fucked up his ankle this game where he got tackled on the right part of the sideline, and this was in the fourth quarter, and he fucked up his ankle, and he was never the same for the rest of his career. But this was probably one of his last great games that he has a, uh, that he had as a Giant before he was so inconsistently unhealthy. But... Eli Manning, after a terrible first half, goes on to throw for a total of 510 yards, leads the Giants to victory in such an exciting, exciting game. The the QB rating at 69, nice. The QB rating at 69 (laughs) doesn't look too good. Doesn't look too good, but Eli's fourth quarter heroics and his ability to find a way to win football games really was shining throughout that game. Martellus Bennett also had five catches, 72 yards in the touchdown. So there was an early part of that 2012 season where he looked really good. Um, but uh, yeah, and actually this game was probably most well-known for Greg Schiano, while Josh Freeman threw an interception in the waning seconds of the fourth quarter. Then all the Giants had to do is take a knee to clinch the game and to just to finish the game. Greg Schiano and their and that bucket then that Buccaneers defense really went after the Giants offensive line and actually wound up knocking Eli down while he was taking the knee. Yep, some punches, that. some punches were thrown after the game. Tom Coughlin screamed at Greg Schiano at their at their handshake, ceremonial handshake after the game. So I thought that was pretty funny. Um <laughs> so that's probably what that game is best well known for. But Eli Manning, 510 yards, and that was his best uh passing day in his career in terms of yards. So David, what's your what's your number five on your list my number five game is the week before my my second honorable mention um giants redskins giants at the redskins week three of 2007 this is the game that without without this game more so than a lot of the other ones i don't the 2007 season doesn't happen happened to be on my birthday for what it's worth giants went down early in washington to the i believe jason campbell led Washington Redskins. Yes. I, I I remember not being actually able to watch a lot of this game. I've I've obviously since watched it multiple times, but I remember I was I was out for some reason. I, I it was my birthday. That, that was I was uh, I was at a I was at a NASCAR race. Oh really? Yeah, Dover, Delaware. Yeah, I was I was at dinner or something for my birthday, and I remember not being able to lunch and not being able to watch a lot of it. But 
just epitomized again, like I said, for the Eagles game, really epitomized the Giants, the ability for the Giants defense to single handedly win football games for the Giants. Um, for that Giants team, uh, it ended up coming down to a goal line stand and literally a goal line stand. It was first and goal. Um, Giants up, I believe, by, by four. So the, the Redskins needed the touchdown. And they stood tall, all four downs. I, I remember the, the fourth and goal play was Clinton Portis to the left side. Um, and I think it was Antonio Pierce who made a lot of those kinds of plays throughout that year, managed to get some early penetration, trip Clinton Portis up, and the rest of the Giants defense corralled to him, made the play, and really saved the Giants season in week three. And from that point on, the Giant, the, the, that defense specifically, but even the offense at times, really started clicking. And obviously, we know how 07 ended. So, All right. My number five or number four, I think I might have X'd out an extra tab. So whatever. My number five, number four game, we're going to fast forward to 2016, Cowboys and the Giants. Now, here's some interesting things about that. Now, this was the game where the Giants were home. So this was 10-7 final. Giants went on to beat nine and four, six and one at home, and then the Cowboys were eleven and two. So this was the year that the Giants infamously had the boat picture and they lost in the playoffs against the Packers. But listen to this: total yards, Dallas two hundred and sixty, Giants two hundred and sixty. Dallas had three turnovers. Giants had three turnovers. Dallas had thirteen first downs. Giants had twelve first downs, and the time of possession was separated by a little bit more than like a minute and thirty seconds. How crazy is that? Well, and what's really cool about that is if you remember that that Cowboys team, they were very similar to the Giants that year. Those teams were very, very similar. The 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 Cowboys had a better running game. Totally, yeah. The Giants had a better defense, but they tried to do the same thing. They they were not that those teams were not about putting up a ton of points. Um, I, I, Ezekiel Elliott was going crazy that year, um, but. That Giants team didn't put up a ton of points. That so it, that defense was was making that team throughout the entire season, and the Cowboys wanted to win games, only scoring fourteen points, seventeen points. They were all about time of possession, keep holding on to the ball because their defense really really wasn't that strong. I remember that that was a fantastic game. That that one I was gonna put that in my list, but I, I ended up going for something like going for other games. That was a really really great game. The over-under was 47, so. <laughs> Yikes. So, um, but obviously this game is best known for the heroics of Odell Beckham Jr. continuing, except this time it was on a national stage and on national television. And a good run back, and Prescott had two interceptions in 12 games. Two to nine, and that's Beckham making the catch. And off to the races he goes. Carr chasing him down. Can't get him. Touchdown, Giants. They take the lead. 61 yards after the interception. There is nobody like it. So these are some quotes that he had after the game. He Obviously, he caught that that little five-yard slant, and he took it to the house, beat Brandon Carr, and beat the entire Cowboys defense, kicked it into another gear. So here are some quotes. I just caught a slant and tried to hit a gear, and I looked back. Actually, I didn't have to look back. I could feel somebody running, and Carr was running as fast as I ever felt somebody chasing me. I had to hit another gear. My hamstrings got a little tight. It was a real race. So that's, I mean, this, this, I mean, obviously, because, you know, 10-7, one touchdown was scored by the Giants. Odell Beckham Jr., the heroics continued. And that, and that season, just his ability to put the team on his back and 
to find ways to basically, I mean, obviously you can, you can say the defense was one of the main reasons why we won 11 games, but without Odell Beckham Jr. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there, there's an argument of that three and 13th season that happened the next year that would have happened 2016 without Odell Beckham Jr. It doesn't matter how good your defense is. If you can't score points, sorry, you're not going to do anything. So I digress. I digress. Um, David, you, what is your next game? Number four, this was the the height of Victor Cruz mania in uh, in New York City. Giants Redskins, 2012, week seven. This is when Robert Griffin III was tearing up the NFL. He was the he was the next big thing. I was um, scared. I was very absolutely. scared. No, I agree. I completely agree. It was, um, if I remember correctly. It was RG3 and Alfred Morris. That mm-hmm. was the two-headed monster, and it was the read option, and nobody could figure out how to stop it. And, you know, if you're a Giants fan and you've been a Giants fan for a little while, you understand that if there's one thing the Giants defense has never been able to figure out how to stop, it's a mobile quarterback, a guy who can get out of the pocket, a guy who can extend plays. And understandably, a lot of teams can't handle that, but the Giants seem to have a really hard time with it, you know, covering running backs out of the backfield, little things like that. And a tight end. And tight end, but but this this team was all about the Redskins were all about RG three running the ball, Alfred Morris read option that nasty stuff, and it was a back and forth game. I happened to be there. It was a back and forth game, and it was just one of those games where every time RG three touched the ball, you were afraid. Every time the Giants defense came on the field, not because the Giants defense was that bad, but because the the Redskins offense felt that dangerous. Um. And they did some good things. The defense played pretty well. The final score ended up being 27-23. Giants won. Eli didn't have a great game. 330 yards, but he had one touchdown, two picks. The play that stands out in my mind is that one touchdown. Um, With a minute and 30 to go, Giants are down 23-20. After the Redskins had just taken the lead. The the Giants had had a lead. Blew it. I believe it was Santana Moss who ended up scoring the go-ahead touchdown with about a minute 30 to go. Giants get the ball. I want to say it was the second play of the drive, maybe the third play of the drive. I think it was second. Eli Manning hits Victor Cruz on a something like a 70-yard touchdown pass, minute 19 to go. Keep the drive alive on a third down and two. As Manning looks to Cruz. And he will race to the end zone. Victor Cruz is in the slot, and they've got Josh Wilson on him at the line of scrimmage. And I don't know if he was anticipating any help from Madu Williams or not. Madu Williams sits to the outside. They were not anticipating, or at least he wasn't, that Cruz was going to run a go route right through the heart of that defense. But he does. His speed, once again, gets by Wilson and a well-thrown ball by Manning. Uh, Victor Cruz froze the safety. I ball went up. Beautiful ball was all she wrote. Fun to look back at like those 2011, 2012 games to remember how good Victor Cruz was um, and how electrifying he was for that Giants, for those Giants teams. But that was a really fun game. I think it's aided by the fact that I, I was there and I, I remember seeing it happen right in front of me. Yeah, you, sure. want to t- you want to talk about hitting another gear again, two, two of these games. I think I would say most in these last 15 years, whether you want to argue that Bradshaw had to hit another gear in Buffalo, but I would say for the longest, for for guys that you want to talk about, guys that are just chasing, trying to get these guys down, 
the ability that Beckham and Cruz in both of these plays and in both of these games had the ability to just hit another gear and to burn these defenses. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah, and, and later and later on in this list, I'm going to talk about another one with Cruz. All right, my number three is 2012. The Bears of Chicago were playing the New York Football Giants. And again, this is a primetime game. I have a lot of primetime games. Actually, my number two and my number one are all primetime games. So oh, that's actually big games. Yeah, big games. And the Giants actually, you know, they, they actually, it's kind of weird to, because you usually think that the Giants don't play well on national television, but they actually, I guess in these games, they actually did. So what this game is known for, they beat the Bears 17 to three. The Giants had a total of 10 sacks, 10 sacks in this game as a team. They had nine on Jay Cutler. Then they eventually beat the shit out of Jay Cutler. So he was hurt and he didn't want any more of it. So there was three quarter, there was three quarterbacks that came into this game. Neither here nor there. So the Giants, like I said, had 10 total, 10 total sacks on three different quarterbacks, which I originally thought was two. OC Yumanura had three sacks. Justin Tuck had three sacks. Jonathan Goff, remember that guy? Yep. He had a half a sack and 10 tackles. Barry Cofield had one and a half sacks. And Aaron Ross had a one sack on Jay Cutler, and that was the play that Jay Cutler got his ankle tied up a little bit, so then he was done. So, yeah, that, that uh, three plus three plus a half plus one plus one and a half plus one is ten. Thanks, Justin. Fun, no problem. Fun game. Fun game, especially in 2012 where I feel like you think post-2011, and you're even thinking in the back of your mind that when you remember that 2011 team, you remember that's like OCU when you're Justin Tuck kind of like, their last kind of hurrah, even yeah. though they were even though they were around for a little bit after 2011. You're thinking that's kind of like the rise of JPP, but it was nice to see in 2012, kind of like a. I almost thought of this game as almost like a throwback to that Eagles game where OCU when you had six sacks in one game. Yeah. But this was a this was a true total team effort where the Bears didn't even the Bears had zero points through three quarters. They they kicked a field goal in the fourth quarter, and this was. Really, this was a fast game. This was a fun game because it was also fast because I didn't have to – I was at this game. I didn't have to be there way too late so I can go to school and I can feel great and refreshed the next morning. So that's great. If I can have every primetime game, the Giants can score 10 points. The other team can score zero points. We can have 10 sacks. We can have a party, and the game goes by really quick. Thank you. Wow. David, what's next for you? Number three for me is I, I think the highest you can put a game – on a list like this, in which the team loses. Giants-Patriots, Week 17, 2008. This, this game can't go... 2007. This game can't go any higher because they did lose. Um, but I remember this game vividly. I remember watching it. And I remember from the very beginning of the game, I did have a belief that the Giants defense would find a way to make it a game. But what's interesting to remember about that game, and everyone views it as kind of like the coming of age for the Giants when they realized we can hang with these guys, we can, you know, these guys are scared of us, they don't want to play us, they don't want to see us again, all that good stuff. But the game ended 38-35. The Super Bowl ended 17-14. So what I think is really interesting to, to, to look at was the Giants' defense really didn't have many answers for the Patriots' offense, you know, the, the vaunted Patriots' offense of 2007. They really didn't have any answers in week 17, it was all about Eli Manning, Brandon Jacobs. They Their offense really, really clicked in that game. Um, I remember early in the game, the Giants hit a bunch of deep plays to different guys. Dominic Hickson, 
Plexico Burris, Amani Tumor. He, they were hitting deep plays to, to these guys. And in a matter of, I mean, what was it? Five weeks? The Giants' defense and Steve Spagnuolo found, found a way to limit the, that same Patriots offense to 14 points in the Super Bowl. But I remember that was such a weird feeling, losing the game, but feeling like, you know what? We It almost feels like a win. I know moral victories really aren't a thing in sports, but that's about as close to one as you can get. I distinctly remember OC, it was, it was towards the end of the game, OC Minora. There's, there's, like, there's like always video of this whenever you watch like a Giants hype video or something. OC Minora standing at the line of scrimmage. Tom Brady is standing at the line of scrimmage. You know what I'm gonna say? I see you smiling. They're they're, st- they're staring at each other. They're not they're staring at there's each other. The, not. There's a common understanding of a of a of a mentality there that between yeah. Brady and OC. But uh, but David, I like how you mentioned that. You know, this is kind of like a weird feeling because obviously you lose the game, but you know, there's so many takeaways from it. I was nine years old and I was at this game, and this was Old Giant Stadium. So there was character at this. There was character to this. There was character emotion at this stadium, unlike the gray dull, lifeless MetLife Stadium we have right now. And I was nine years old, and I walked out of that football game, and I was fine. I was fine that we lost. Now, that's not usually like, you know, a nine-year-old, you know, they typically, they want to win, they want to lose, and there's no other yeah. consolation, middle middle ground in between. I still consider that this, to this day, the greatest football game I've ever watched, or the greatest game that I've been a part of. And it's always different, like, when you're there, you know, it's always different when you're at a football game and you're present and you're watching it while it's happening as opposed to a TV screen or a computer yep. screen. So I consider that just, I mean, obviously looking back, obviously maybe if we don't win the Super Bowl, I'm not considering that the greatest football game I ever watched. But because we went on and we did what we did against the greatest team of all time, I think that 2007 Patriots team is the greatest football team ever put together, ever compromised. Like just from top to bottom, it absolutely is. But that one giant loss, and it started week seventeen. And you know, you can't write a better script. I mean, for both for both of these seasons, for both of those 07 and eleven seasons, you couldn't write a better script. You couldn't against yep. that football team. So absolutely, list goes on. Twenty fifteen Sunday night football. The San Francisco 49ers come to town as they are one and three. The Giants were two and two. And coming off some devastating losses in 2015, but they were also coming off some good wins and they were trying to get back in the win column. I'll tell you what, you know, 2015, I feel like some people consider that to be, you know, Colin Kaepernick, you know, that was pretty much one of his final years. I think either 15 or 16 was his final year. I think 16 was. I think 16. Um, 16 was because that's when the kneeling started. But Colin Kaepernick, solid game that he had here. And those 49ers teams, especially after Hardball left, were terrible. Terrible, 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 terrible. If Eli Manning has been getting a pass for years for having terrible teams around him, then Colin Kaepernick should also be getting the same pass. But let's not get into that. Um, Colin Kaepernick got a really good game, and I think you really point to this game as to how he can lead a team to put them in a, in a, in a position to win. But Eli Manning, after throwing a silly, silly, silly interception in the red zone in the second half, he leads a fourth quarter comeback that will, in my brain, I will remember this forever. Elon Manning is driving the Giants down inside the red zone, trying to win the game with less than two minutes to go. The clock is rolling down, clock is rolling down, clock is rolling down. They have no timeouts left. Larry Donnell runs a double move at the line of scrimmage. 
Eli Manning looks at him, pump fakes, and this is a really good pump fake. Sets his foot, pump fakes, fires it to the back of the end zone. Larry Donnell balances the ball on the top of his face mask, comes down with it, touchdown Giants. Eli puts it in a position where only Larry Donnell can catch it. He comes down with it. And one of the most interesting parts about this football game is Larry Donnell almost broke the internet. The fact that this <laughs> San Francisco 49ers a losing football team and the New York Giants, who were two and two and you know were falling, you know, a couple of year, you know, a couple of years away off of their Super Bowl win and then not making the playoffs since they won the Super Bowl. Larry Donnell had hundreds of thousands of Twitter mentions after that game. And I I just remember and, and after that game, we were at the time first place in the NFC East. And I just remember because again, this was another game that I was at. So I remember walking away from that game just being so pumped. Eli had 440 yards. He was 41 for 54, three touchdowns, obviously with the silly interception. But again, he had an opportunity to go out and win a football game. And it always just was the best feeling in the world that when our quarterback had the ball with an opportunity to win the game, you knew that he was going to go out there and do it. And there was no doubt. And especially with that team, with some of these names, Rashad Jennings, Shane Vereen, Dwayne Harris, Will Ty, uh, Ruben Randall. Um, yeah, how Eli was able to have such a pretty solid season. His statistically one of his best seasons with that uh, cast of characters, pretty damn good. And this game was before Odell Beckham Jr. was healthy, healthy because he had a hamstring problem. So, yeah, that's my that's my number two game. Number two for me goes back to the 2011 season, magical season. I want to bring you back to a time where our cross-town rivals, cross-town rivals, New York Jets were the enemy. Um, and they were relevant. Remember when the Jets were relevant? It's been a while. Yeah, they yeah, uh, they they uh, they had some AFC Championship appearances. They did, they did, but not this year, thanks to the New York Giants. 2011, Week 15, Jets Giants meet. It is technically a a Jets home game, and I remember from the very beginning, it had a we it had a really cool feeling about it to remember the whole thing the yeah Jets. rex rex ryan rex ryan and brandon jacobs were talking shit beforehand the whole week and the, the whole, fact that a lot of the year and the fact the, that the jets covered the covered, giants yeah. super bowl trophies in the covered locker the, room or in the, like in the, 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 the murals catwalk. on the wall they covered yeah. the murals on the wall um and also let's not forget the jets had plexico burris on this team and if you remember correctly to the coin toss, Plexico Burris was the only Jet who walked out for the coin toss. Just another like interesting little thing that Rex Ryan tried to throw in there. Um, and this game started very poorly for the Giants. It, I remember it was 7 nothing. The Jets had a nice drive early in the game. I'm trying to remember who. I, I want to say it was Sean Green who scored. It was the fullback. It was the Jets fullback, whoever that was. Don't remember his name. Jets fullback scored. And the Giants just looked like they had nothing going, and they were pinned really deep. Um, and obviously, Victor, probably Victor Cruz's most famous play of his Giants career, 99-yard touchdown um, on a third and on a third, and I think it was like a third and seven or eight or something like that. 99-yard um, touchdown totally changed the momentum of the game. From that point on, the Giants pretty much dominated the game really knocked around Mark Sanchez, forced him into some really bad mistakes as the game went on. And this game put the, put the Giants' season in their own hands, put their destiny in their hands. And, of course, the next, the next week they came home, quote-unquote, came home, and laid an absolute egg 
against the Washington Redskins, which would eventually lead them to the to the Giants Cowboys game, New Year's Day, uh, the winner take all game. So that's number two. Really fun game. I remember I had so many friends that were Jets fans, and it was such a fun like lead up to that game, and it was just so rewarding for the Giants to walk out of that game with a win. Um, talked a lot of crap the following mm-hmm. week at school. It was a lot of fun. So, yeah, that's number two. My most memorable play of that game is Ahmad Bradshaw absolutely oh my destroying. God. Pool. Destroyed him, and he goes on to score on that play, runs over him, and the Bradshaw spike. Yep. It was always was always a fantastic thing to witness and always a great thing when he would particularly score a touchdown. But especially after that play and it being against the Jets and being in their end zone, spiking it, jump spiking it, Bradshaw spiking it right right in their home territory as he ran over a Jets safety. That was absolutely fantastic. So yes. All right. Um, so this is my number one. 2011. And this was the week before. 2011, week 14. Giants at the Cowboys. Sunday night football once again. Down by 12. Late in the fourth quarter of a game the Giants had to win to have any kind of realistic chance to make the playoffs. The Giants put together two touchdown drives in the final three minutes and 41 seconds. Now, the Giants were up by three. Cowboys are driving down. They eventually get the ball to about the 30-yard line. So it's a 47-yard field goal. And Jason Pierre-Paul, who has, who had been a storyline for that entire season, disappointing rookie season, he comes back his second year, and he's really taken this Giants defense by storm. He is everywhere. That is one thing I remember about this football game, is that Jason Pierre-Paul was all over the football field. He had eight tackles. He led the team in tackles. He had eight tackles, six solo tackles, and two sacks in this football game. And most importantly, Tom Coughlin with that 47-yard field goal. Kick is up. Kick is good. Tom Coughlin ices the kicker. So that gives the Giants one more opportunity to try and block a field goal, make something happen, make something happen. So rookie kicker Dan Bailey misses the kick. Snap is good. Hold down. Kick is up. And it is blocked by Jason Pierre-Paul. The Giants win it 37-34. They go on to run the table and, as you mentioned, win the Super Bowl that year. So that game was such an exciting game. And, again, you you, st- you stay up late. There's something about winning a, winning a, an exciting game at primetime. You stay up late and you watch it on TV. You know the season's on the line. They pull it out. And, you know, especially when you see that a kick is no good, um, it's the best feeling in the world. Yeah. Best feeling in the world. And again, you see Eli Manning being able to have the ball in his hands, make plays, do make enough plays to win the game. And then that game was really an emergence of Jason Pierre-Paul being all over the field and just seeing the freakish athlete that he is, his ability to do it all was fantastic. Absolutely. So that's my that's my favorite game of the Giants of the last 10 years. But if I had to pick one game that's my favorite of the last 15 years, as you misfollowed my directions, it would be Week 17, Giants-Patriots. Well, I'm going to take you four weeks later from your number one game. Same opponent, Week 17, New Year's Day, Giants-Cowboys at MetLife Stadium. Winner take all. Oh, I mean, what exactly else can you, can, can you want from a, from a football game? Giants-Cowboys for the division, for the playoffs. 
Um, this was a game coming in. I was very, I, I was, I was lucky enough to be at the game. Were you at that game, Justin? Yes, I was. It was the only time that I was ever happy at MetLife Stadium while it was raining. <laughs> yeah, it was a nasty day too. It was terrible. I remember I was, I was confident coming in, but it's the Cowboys and you never know what can happen in those, in those, in NFC East division games. And I remember, I, I believe the first, first two drives in each direction went nowhere. Um, and yet again, Victor Cruz went 99 against the Jets and I think went 75 against the Cowboys, mm-hmm. uh, just took mm-hmm. an out route and just ran past everybody. Um, that was, that was his play that year. That was his play that year. Yeah. And really got the Giants going. Giants defense was dominant for most of the game. They faltered a little bit in early in the second half, constantly hounding Tony Romo. One thing I, I really remember about that game also was I, I just I just remember it was just a dominant game from beginning to end for for the Giants and it really really led them into the playoffs about as well as you could hope. You know, you look at the week seventeen game in 07 and they lost that game, but it definitely it was it was a springboard into the playoffs. For yeah. twenty eleven, they needed that game more than anything, obviously. It was their ticket into the playoffs. But I think in the in the manner in which they did it, um at home Beating, you know, arguably your most hated rival, and beating them soundly to get into the playoffs really just set the tone for them going forward into the playoffs. So that's definitely my fondest memory, my my number one game um, of the last ten, even fifteen years. And really, because they, you know, the Patriots game probably would be up there had they won. Right. But I, I just can't get any better than taking the playoffs away from the Cowboys and then going, not only getting into the playoffs for yourself, but then going on to win the Super Bowl. I don't think you can get any better than that. Yeah, the one thing I really remember about this game now, MetLife, I believe, has a capacity of 82,000 seats. Yeah. And the attendance for this game was 81,077. And it's rare, uh, at least, you know, maybe not back in those days where I feel like the Giants were a little bit more competitive, but it's rare that MetLife sells out. Now, I think without the Giants fans and that momentum and that tone that they set immediately. And you know that when those, when the Giants hand out fucking towels for whatever reason, Oh, it's, it's go time. Fans go fucking nuts. Yep. They love towels. Just for whatever reason, whatever reason, I think the Steelers started this shit that whenever reason, when you, when you get towels, Oh, it's over. You know, you're winning that fucking game. <laughs> and that's why, and that's why I think the Giants do it sparingly. They don't do it every week. They handed out towels for week 17 against the Cowboys, and then they put all in. Well, no, they put Michael Strahan on the towels week 17, and then they put all in on the towels for the wild card game yep. the next week against the against the Falcons. Because that's when the that's when the poker chip talk was released, and yeah. they had the all-in mantra for each other for the playoffs, and that's what kind of led them to go ahead and win that Super Bowl. But without the fans setting that tone and without that kind of like I said, that tone being set. For not only that week for that Cowboy game, but then also next week against the Falcons, um, I think those were big difference makers. And Absolutely. one of the one of the rare times that MetLife did have any kind of energy, didn't have character, but it had energy and it had that spark that that team needed. So, yep. Um, that I believe that's it, David. That concludes our list. That concludes our list. Um, we're we'll be we'll be thinking of some fun things to do throughout this off season. I have some ideas 
because news is going to be a little bit slow. But I do want to continue to have weekly episodes, even if they're not that long. Obviously, this one was longer because talking about these games and, you know, it, it takes some time and I feel like it, it deserves it. You know, we talked about the Super Bowl. We talked about the halftime show. So all this stuff kind of deserved our attention for a little bit. But uh, any kind of final thoughts, David? I already miss football. I don't. I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> I'm ready for baseball. I'm just ready, man. I, I'm, uh, uh, I've heard so much BS about Bryce Harper and Manny Machado. I'm already tired of baseball. Oh, no, but yeah. No, no, you're tired of the offseason. You are not tired of baseball. I see. Thank you for enlightening me. No problem. I'm, I, you have an opinion, and then I said, no, your opinion is your wrong. Your opinion's wrong. This is why it's wrong. And yeah. this is what your opinion should be, so you're welcome. Thank you for that. Thank you for showing me the error of my ways, Justin. No problem. Um, so uh, keep on bleeding blue, everybody. You know We will be back on Monday for the Yankees. And then we will be back on Wednesday for the New York football giants. Keep on bleeding blue. Peace out. Have a great week.